Hello everyone, it's Daniel Barnett here from Outer Temple Chambers and welcome to episode 83 of Employment Law Matters. I'm joined today by Jodie Hill of Thrive Law, who's going to be talking to us about mental health in the workplace. Jodie is one of the speakers at www.employmentwebinars.co.uk. She's one of the 30 employment law experts who you are going to have the chance to question on just about every subject that exists under the sun workplace law related if you register at www.employmentwebinars.co.uk. Jodie's speciality is mental health in the workplace. Uh, Jodie Hill, what's the most interesting case you've ever been involved with? Good morning. Welcome to Employment Law Matters with Barrister Daniel Barnett. Morning. Hi. Um, So I'd say it's actually the first one that I took on at Thrive and it was a massive whistleblowing complaint with 19 allegations, but it actually resulted in someone being suspended for two years on full pay before they eventually dismissed her. And it ended up being a really widely reported case, but it was so interesting to see how poorly they actually dealt with it. But equally, the impact that that had throughout that long period of time, even though she was being paid, obviously, the impact on her mental health was really profound. So it was a really interesting one to see it obviously unfold over that period of time, and obviously to get the win on every single point, but also just looking behind the scenes and seeing how it impacts individuals in the long term. How many days was that uh, listed for in front of the tribunal? I think it was nine. So pretty meaty trial. So pretty meaty trial, yeah. And it was it was against a big NHS trust, and it was like I say, it was widely reported because of the because of the fact that they actually found every single protected disclosure, you know, was qualifying. So it was yeah, really really interesting, and actually um, a great one to have right from the start when I first set Thrive up. So I feel feel quite attached to it. <laughs> I don't do many cases against NHS trust, but when I do, I find them quite difficult because they're so document heavy, and people are so wedded to their procedures. You often just want to hit the witnesses over the head and just say, you know, do something sensible, don't just blindly <laughs> follow procedures as a as a ridiculous defence mechanism. And I find that that many, many public sector authorities are are tremendously defensive in that regard. Do you find the same? Absolutely the same. And it was was so document heavy. And the witnesses, exactly as you've just alluded to, were really focused on, well, the policy says this. Yeah, but you didn't do that. And actually think outside the box a little bit and and use a bit of common sense as a manager. So I think that certainly comes up um, more so in the public sector that I've found for sure. What's the most important thing you've learned over the last few years as a lawyer? Um, I'd say, I mean, I actually set Thrive up three years ago. And um, I'd say that one of the most important things I've learned is the kind of, from my perspective, understanding the type of lawyer I want to be. And actually, you know, there's way more to being a lawyer than knowing law. And I think when you start out in a legal career, it's very legal focused. Obviously, you've got to get the academic side, but there's so much more to it than that. The culture is really important and the people skills are so important as a lawyer, especially as a solicitor when you're day to day with clients. So, yeah, I'd certainly say that, the, you know, the culture and the people side of it is um, is something that I've really learned and developed over the past few years. Is there a key aspect to the culture at Thrive Law that you emphasise to potential recruits? Yeah, so um, when I set Thrive Up, I'd actually had a mental breakdown the year before. So I talk really openly about the importance of having conversations around mental health, destigmatizing those conversations, and really putting equality, diversity, and inclusion right at the top of the business agenda, rather than it being a second or third, or actually for many many firms at the bottom. Um, so it's really it's really important for us that in the heart of everything we do, from our advice to the way we treat our staff, and to the example that I set as a as a law firm owner, that diversity 
diversity and inclusion stays at the top. And um, so that's part of our vision and our mission and our values, which is very different to a lot of other firms, which um, are set up in a very different way. But I was able to do that because I set up on my own and really just built the firm around my own values and my own vision. Are there any potential clients you might pitch to for work who decide that you're not actually the right firm for them because you emphasize mental health, diversity and inclusion so much? Possibly, but I don't want to work with those clients, quite frankly. Um, one of the things that I, I really didn't like about working in, in other firms was, as especially you'll see this as employment lawyers, is kind of being hired guns. Never really liked that kind of go and sack the pregnant person or sack the person with mental health problems. And it was really difficult because I, I didn't become a lawyer to, to be a hired gun. I became a lawyer because I wanted to really help people and give those more vulnerable people a voice, um, but also the whole education piece. So what we tend to find is, well, we definitely find is these clients are attracted to us because of that, because we have more than law. You know, we can actually talk to them about all sorts of different areas of their business, not just focusing on on the raw legal aspects and actually developing the HR, the diversity inclusion piece, and actually looking at coaching and culture as well. So it's much more holistic approach at Thrive. And, and we find that we attract those businesses who really want to invest in their people. Mental health at the work in the workplace is, is largely unrecognisable from that which it was a few years ago because uh, people do talk about it much, much more openly now. What do you think is the most important change in attitudes to mental health over the last few years? Well, that is one of the most important changes is actually the, the openness around the conversation. I think there's still a lot way to, a long way to go in terms of many organisations may talk about it, but it's not actually something that's genuinely infiltrated through the ranks or within the organisation. So I think the awareness has been great, but I think we need to see more action. We need to see uh, more organisations leading by example and being authentic with what they're saying they're going to do within the workplace. So there's one thing saying, you know, we pledge to do X, Y or Z but actually physically doing that and then measuring the impact and showing that you're authentic to those values, I think is really important because people are less likely to open up or be honest about their struggles because they see it as a sign of weakness or that they might be performance managed. And, you know, you've got to create the culture before you create the openness. And so breaking that stigma down is is really important. And there's a really great campaign that businesses can get involved in. It's a free campaign. You might have heard of it called This Is Me. It's based in London, but they've got regional charities that support the openness around conversations in mental health. So the idea is, is that business leaders would put themselves forward to actually lead by example, share their own powerful story of their own mental health struggles. And by doing that, it helps break the stigma in the workplace. So we launched This Is Me Yorkshire a few um, months ago in October last year, and we've already seen several businesses sign up and see the positive impact and just just changes. It shifts the conversation from we can't talk about this to actually you're the boss and you went through this and you're still successful. So actually, maybe I can talk about this. Maybe I can get help. So I think, you know, that is very much a leadership thing, but also comes down to the culture of the organization and whether that's something that's embedded rather than simply tokenistic. Is there a website for this? While you've been speaking, I've been Googling it and I can find lots of references, but no dedicated website. Yes. So there's a central website called, it's actually hosted by the Lord Mayor's Appeal. They host the initiative. In Yorkshire, we have thisismeyorkshire.com and some of the other regions have their own website, but everything is centrally hosted and you can register for free for for support with This Is Me. And also they support the Green Ribbon Appeal. You may have seen people wearing green ribbons around Mental Health Day. That's part of the the initiative there. So you can actually gift them and get them virtual as well. So there's no need to actually physically buy them. You can actually put them online 
and just keep that awareness going around um, mental health in the workplace. Thank you. And we'll include a link to the website in the show notes if you want to look at it, find out a little more and make a contribution. Judy Hill, do you think the Equality Act is the right way to deal with mental health issues in the workplace? Does it go far enough? Does it go too far? I think it's difficult because one of the most challenging things for me is where an organisation, obviously within their rights, say that an individual doesn't meet the definition of disability. And so I think what often tends to happen is it people have to go through when they're very unwell, a very difficult struggle through a tribunal, be questioned about their mental health. Um, I've seen people who have been suicidal, who have not managed to meet the threshold because it wasn't long term. And, you know, it's really difficult um, for individuals. And, you know, organisations will say, oh, well, they they weren't disabled, so I'm not making adjustments. And I think we almost need to move away from that and be more proactive. Well, the Equality Act is there, but the reality is, it is only really there for if people can afford to bring a claim. And most people who've had a breakdown or been dismissed because of their mental health don't tend to have the, the strength or the ability to go through anything like that. So I don't think I don't think it does what it needs to do. I think there's certainly more that businesses can do if they are more proactive. Um, the Equality Act is obviously really there for more of a recourse than the preventative side I, I tend to find in practice. So if you could make one change to the law on mental health in the workplace... What would it be? So this is actually something I am campaigning for at the moment. I I start well. I started a campaign last year to require the government to actually support businesses around mental health risk assessments. Well, actually, a little bit more wider than that, well-being. And the reason for that is because businesses don't really know where to start. There's a there's a stress risk assessment under HSE kind of there, but no one really does it. And it doesn't really help us address the problem, whereas a a well-being risk assessment on the organisation in terms of what support are they offering, who's at risk, you know, looking at things like adjustments more generally in the workplace, but also on an individual basis, will really support not only support individuals, but it'll actually support organisations not only to prevent risk, but to get a more productive employee, someone who's less likely to go off sick because they can address the problems head on rather than waiting for them to go off sick. So I'm really encouraging people to, to take this proactive approach. I've actually got a meeting with an MP this week to talk about um, taking the campaign further. But what I really want to happen is that the government support businesses with this and help them kind of put together what that assessment might look like in a bit of a framework so that there's a consistent approach. Because at the moment, some businesses are doing it and others are not doing anything. Um, And actually, especially now we're working from home, you can't see the physical signs. You can't see when someone is struggling um, like you would do in the the workplace if you're in the office. And I think we are going to be home working more in the future. So, again, you know, that that more remote approach, we do need to tap into and understand how people are feeling, whether they're struggling and what supports out there. Do, Do people even know what support their business has? And that's what these assessments should illustrate is first of all what the business needs to do and secondly on an individual basis what support they need moving forward so it's quite a lot (laughs) Uh, but equally I think it will be I think it will be really important not just for the individual but for the employer and I think you know if, if we take a proactive approach in this way and actually have that support from the government we'll see in my view, hopefully, um, we'll see people not only opening up those conversations even more in the workplace because they're actually they have to have that conversation, but actually managers having a bit of a skill set in terms of what to say because at the moment I think a lot of managers just don't ask people because they don't want to open a can of worms is one that always comes out or they don't know what to do with the information when it comes back. So if somebody said to them, you know, oh actually I've had a panic attack today, you know, a lot of managers wouldn't really know what to say with or do with that. So there's an education. Piece 
piece around it, but actually the, the assessments will identify what training and support is needed for everybody. Jodie Hill, what's the one question you're hoping no one will ask you on your webinar on the 15th of March? Well, obviously, it'd be nice not to be asked about furlough. Um, jokes aside, though, but um, no, I, I really would would not like it if somebody asked me, how do I sack someone with a mental health problem? It's it's the most awful question when it does come up um, because I, I, I won't advise them how to do it. <laughs> That was Jodie Hill from Thrive Law talking on mental health in the workplace. And she's one of the 30 employment law experts answering your questions starting from the 1st of March at www.employmentwebinars.co.uk. Please do register. We've got some amazing topics. The last episode of this podcast, you heard Casper Glynn, who's talking on COVID issues in the workplace. We've got Topics uh, and sessions where people, where barristers and solicitors answer your questions on union recognition, tribunal procedure, disability discrimination, ACAS early conciliation, employee monitoring, family friendly rights, whistleblowing, performance dismissals, conduct dismissals, religion and belief discrimination, and many, many, many more. Sign up at www.employmentwebinars.co.uk. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please go to your podcast store and subscribe to it employment law matters thank you so much for listening i'm barrister daniel barnett bye bye any information on this podcast is for general guidance only always seek legal advice please see full terms at www.danielbarnett.co.uk forward slash podcast terms